someone has well said that every person with Jesus Christ is a missionary and every person without the Lord Jesus Christ is a mission field. And you and I have the opportunity, the wonderful opportunity of sharing with people the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps we're the only one that will ever have the opportunity to do that. And we need to buy up every opportunity that God gives to us. Thank you for that reminder. Well, uh, a while ago, Dave from the Wacky Spot asked you uh, if you had a good weekend. I had a great weekend. Um, I went down to Christian Heritage to watch the Mustangs win another ball game. I think that's six in a row for our men's team. And then, uh, because I couldn't be at two places at one time, we also know that the Lady Mustangs won right here. That's an exciting weekend, too. <clears throat> and tomorrow night, I trust all of you will be here. I really appreciate the school spirit that I see, but all of us need to be here tomorrow night to see the men play Fresno Pacific. We want to work our way all the way to the national finals this year and I think we've got the team to do it and we just need your support at every game so you be here tomorrow night uh, I have one introduction to make this morning we have a new employee on campus this morning I think he's in chapel um, he's a graduate of the class of 1990 here he is an alumnus of the school his name is Mark Gwynn where are you Mark stand up Mark Gwynn has come to um, head up a department that we're calling Church and Public Relations. He's going to be out ministering in churches, sharing with people, pastors, youth pastors, youth groups, uh, what uh, God can do through the lives of young people who come to the Master's College. And we want you to pray for Mark as he, along with our admissions department, the rest of us, uh, do everything we can to share what we are and why people, young people, ought to consider the Master's College as a place for their Christian higher education. So as you see Mark around the campus, many of you know him already, uh, welcome him aboard. We're glad to have him. And it's a special joy for me because many years ago I hired his father to work for me at the Moody Bible Institute. And uh, so I've watched Mark grow up and see God work in his life and take unto himself a bride and now become a father of a beautiful little baby girl, Katie, and uh, we're delighted to have Mark as a part of our team. Well, I couldn't help but think this morning as uh, Suzanne and Jennifer were singing that every once in a while it's good for you and for me to recall what it was that brought us to Jesus Christ. Now, we know it was the Spirit of God working in our lives, but was it a parent? Was it a Sunday school teacher? Was it a pastor? Was it an evangelistic conference that you attended? Was it a youth camp? What were the circumstances that God used to bring you to the place where you acknowledged your sin, repented of your sin, and came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? There are many promises written in the Word of God. Many of those promises are written to people who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thinking of John 3.16, which all of us have learned. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, here's the promise, but have eternal life. Or John 3.17, for God, came not, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him, the promises, might be saved. Or perhaps uh, John 20:31, where it says, But these are written, that is the word of God, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing the promises, ye might have life through his name. Or John 3:36, which says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Or, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, the promise is thou shalt be saved. So the word of God has promises that are written to those who are outside of Christ, saying that if they will repent of their sins, acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, they will be born again, have eternal life, and spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thinking this morning of a young man just before I moved out here to the West Coast that I had the joy of sharing the gospel to, and he'd never heard it before. The circumstances were this. I had a lady call me one day at my office down at MBI, and she said, my son is in prison. I wonder if you'd go to see him. Well, my schedule was busy there as it is here. But I've asked the Lord always to give me a desire to be a personal evangelist. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in our ministry that we don't have time to share the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can happen to you as students as well. You come here to take in all that God has for you as students at the Master's College. And yet many times we forget that God has given us a mandate that we are to be witnesses unto him. So I've asked God always to give me that burden on my heart to be a witness and a testimony for him. And sometimes I just have to leave my office and go somewhere where there are unsaved people so that I could talk to them about the Lord. And the Lord had convicted me about that. And so when this lady came to me and said, will you go see my son? I said, where is he? Cook County Jail? She said, no, he was there. But he's now been permanently assigned to the Federal Correctional Institution in Pontiac, Illinois, which was quite a distance away. I said, yes, I'll go. I said, you're going to have to make the arrangements for me because I'm no longer what they call a full-time pastor, even though I'm a minister of the gospel. And so she called the chaplain. The chaplain called me. They made all the arrangements. I drove to Pontiac, 120 miles uh, southwest of Chicago, and I went in to meet this young man. He wasn't very receptive. He really didn't seem to be delighted to see me. But he did come to see me in that visiting room. There was a platform about this high, and there were two long tables down the middle of a long hallway. And the prisoner went on one side of the table, and the visitor went on the other side of the table. And there was glass up about this high, so your voice could be heard over the top of the glass. But next to me was somebody visiting another prisoner, and on the other side of me was another visitor visiting another prisoner, and so it was a kind of a noisy place. But when I walked into the room, I stood there, and I waited to see that prisoner, a young man that I hadn't met before. Introduced myself. He said, my mother told me you were coming. Why did you waste your time to come all the way down here from Chicago? And I said, there's only one reason, that is because I love you. But more than that, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. And I want to tell you about him. He said, well, I'm really not interested in religious stuff. 
Well, I visited him three times and made very little progress with him. But on my third visit, he said to me, you know, you're wasting your time with me, but I have a cellmate who's been here for 10 years, never had one visitor. Would you be willing to come and see him? I said, yes, I'll do that if you'll allow me to come again and to see you. So before I left that day, I went to the warden's office, made arrangements through the chaplain to come in to see his cellmate, a man that I'd never met before in my life. And I came back into that same circumstance again, walked into that room, stood there. Finally, a guard brought in a prisoner, and he said, Reverend Hescott, this is Ron Atkins. And I stuck out my hand, and as I shook his hand, the tears started coming down his cheeks. He said, you realize that you're the first visitor I've had since I've been here, and I've been here for 10 years. He said, why would you waste your time to come and see me? I said, only one reason. I said, number one, I love you. And that may not be important to you, but Jesus Christ loves you and paid the penalty for your sin. I didn't even know what his crimes were at that time. But then we were ushered back to our place. I had to talk to him over the top of the glass, found out a little bit about him, find out why he was there, found out a little bit about his background, the kind of crimes he'd committed. And that day as we chatted, I shared with him the love of Christ. I presented to him a simple gospel. I held my testament, which only one time was I allowed to take in with me. The rest of the time I had to quote scripture that I had memorized for the years, which is just a reminder to you. Learn scripture. Memorize it. Because many times you'll have the opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ and you won't have your testament or your Bible with you. At that time, for some reason, when I went through the checkpoint, they didn't take my testament away, so I took it out of my pocket, held it up against the glass, and asked him to read the passages of Scripture. He didn't accept Christ as his Savior the first time, but I'm thankful to tell you on my fifth visit in that noisy room, with visitors on both sides of me and prisoners on both sides of him, he prayed repented of his sins, and asked Jesus Christ to be his Savior. Well, immediately a change took place. That's what God's Word says, doesn't it? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And they begin to notice in the prison that he changed. And within one year, I had a call from the parole board, asked me if I'd come to a parole hearing and tell them why I believe that he was ready to be taken out of that prison and put on probation. I said, why did you call me? They said, because Ron asked us to call you. So I went to the parole board. There were four of them in the room, four members. And I sat down and they began to share with me that they had seen some changes in his life. His attitude was different. His work ethic was different. He seemed to be getting along with the prisoners in a better way. I said, how do you explain that? I said, you talk about reformation. We talk about transformation. And I had the privilege of sharing the fact that this young man, who had never known Jesus Christ, didn't know anything about him, had now received Jesus Christ to be the master of his life. And that that would make a difference. Well, we waited the two weeks that we had to wait, and parole was denied. Not unusual. 
have her role denied the first time. The second hearing came up. The second time, they asked me the same questions. I told them the same reasons. I said, have you seen a change? Are things getting any better with Ron, his attitude, and so forth? They said, yes. They really are. But they said, you need to do one thing more. You need to find a place for him to live. And number two, you need to find him a job. If you can do that, we will consider his parole. I went back, went to the church that I was attending, told them the story. I'd had them praying. I shared that prayer request at our prayer meetings on Wednesday night. Had a lot of people praying for Ron. And the family raised their hand and said, we will take him into our home. Our children are grown and gone. Husband and wife said, we will take him into our home. Somebody else raised their hand and said, we'll give him work. I wrote back to the parole board, told him it had been taken care of, and six weeks later, Ron was released. He moved into that home, took his job, began coming to our church, sharing what Jesus Christ had done in his life. It was a great experience. I said to Ron one day, I said, would you tell our people, and if I had him here today and had him come and stand on this platform, what verse of Scripture was it that got a hold of your heart? He would tell you this. It was Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ron said, after you shared that Scripture with me the first time, and I read it for myself out of the New Testament, he said, I went back to my cell, and he said, all I could hear is whosoever, whosoever, whosoever. And someone has written a gospel song that says, whosoever surely meaneth me. And Ron became a new creature in Christ, and he shared that testimony with our people. It's good for us to recall what it was, who was involved, when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. If we were to ask you at one of our chapel services to come and tell us who it was, when it was, what passage of Scripture it was, would you be able to share that with us? God's wonderful promises to those who are outside of Himself saying, Come unto me. I've paid the penalty of your sin. But there's another class of promises in the Word of God, and those are promises that are written to God's people. Those are promises for you and for me. Promises that will encourage our hearts and build us up in the faith and help us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Promises like this, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Or, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Or in Psalm 27 throughout, when the Lord says that He is our light and our salvation, whom shall we fear? He is the strength of our life. Or Psalm 37, where it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Or Jeremiah 33.3 is a very important one. Call upon me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Or when the Lord Jesus promised the Apostle Paul that his grace would be sufficient. But I want to call your attention to a promise that's meant a great deal to me. It comes to us from the Old Testament in the 33rd ch chapter of the book of Exodus, where Moses was going through some very difficult times. In chapter 33 and verse 14, 
The Lord God said to Moses, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Now, that's a very wonderful promise. It's a wonderful promise to me as I serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the capacity that he's given me here at the Master's College to know that, yes, he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, but that his presence will go with me. Because I am his child, he loves me, he's concerned about me, he wants to see me succeed in that which he has called me to do. He has given me the Holy Spirit to lead and to direct and to guide in my life. But that promise is a precious promise that was given to Moses, and it was given to him in a very difficult time of need. So I want you to see three things from this promise this morning. Number one, I want you to see the setting of the promise. What were the circumstances that surrounded that promise that God gave to Moses? Number two, I want you to see the wording of the promise. What did it mean when he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest? And then thirdly, I'd like to have you see with me the proving of that promise in the life of Moses. First of all, let's look at the setting. You know, a jewel is always beautiful in itself. But its beauty is always enhanced when it's placed in the proper setting. This is a jewel of a promise. But when you see the setting and the circumstances that brought it about, I think it will be a greater blessing and encouragement to your life. Moses had been called to God to serve him. You remember that he had to flee Egypt because he slew an Egyptian. And for the next 40 years, God was preparing him for a ministry that he would have for the 40 years after that. And one day, while he was out taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, he saw that burning bush. You know that story. It burned, but it didn't consume. And out of that burning bush came this message from God. You're a chosen vessel of mine. I want you to serve me. Moses began to make excuses like you and I do when God calls us to do something that we don't want to do. But God persisted, and he even said, I'll give you a spokesperson in Aaron, because Moses said, I'm slow of speech. I'm not real good when it comes to speaking. Because the job that God had chosen Moses to do was to go to Pharaoh and to take the children of Israel out of captivity and begin the process that would take them to the promised land in Canaan. Now, you and I know that God chose Moses to lead that way, but God never allowed Moses to take them into the promised land because of sin. But Moses was the man, and so Moses obeyed. Now, you all know the story. It was a difficult time as he went to Pharaoh. God had to send the plagues, and finally Pharaoh said, Let him go. And then the Lord God opened the Red Sea and they went through on dry land and the armies that followed them were drowned because the Lord let the waters come back. Some of the times were good, some of the times were bad. Some of the times the people complained, some of the times the people rejoiced. They were on their way to the promised land, but they were even thinking back and saying it wasn't so bad back there as this wilderness experience. And they weren't too happy with the food service along the way. 
But God was also dealing with Moses because if you go back to chapter 20, you remember that God called Moses to Mount Sinai where he gave to him the Ten Commandments. We call it the Decalogue. And as we come to this passage of Scripture, God had called Moses back to Mount Sinai again to give him further instruction as to his leadership and to the setting up of the tabernacle. But if you look back at chapter 32... As Moses was coming down from that mountaintop experience with God, when God engraved again on tables of stone the word that he wanted him to deliver to the children of Israel, it says in verse 15, And Moses turned and went down from the mount. And the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. Moses said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither it is the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf, he saw the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and broke them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, distraught it upon the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. Moses said unto Aaron, Why did you let this happen? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. And as for this, Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what has become of him. Moses had left to get instruction from God. The people thought he had gone. They fell into sin. They took all of their gold. They had it molded into a golden calf. They worshipped that golden calf. They danced around it. And the scripture goes on to say that they even danced naked. No wonder Moses was angry. God had called him to leadership and look what was happening. So Moses goes at the end of that day in verse 31 and says and Moses returned unto the Lord and said oh this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin and if not blot me I pray thee out of thy book which thou hast written and the Lord said unto Moses whosoever hath sinned against me him will I blot out of my book you go back therefore and lead these people and an angel shall go before thee an angel shall go before thee now who'd been guiding Moses up to this point God had by night with a pillar of fire by day with a cloud they had leadership from God himself now God is saying because of the sin of the people I'm withdrawing myself and I'm going to send an angel to lead you In verse 12 of chapter 33, Moses said unto the Lord, See, you say unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. 
Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, you show me the way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. In other words, Moses wasn't listening to what God had to say when he said an angel would lead them, because he didn't want an angel. He wanted God himself. He wasn't looking for any leadership. He was looking for God's leadership. He was discontented with the answer from God. What a setting for a promise like this to come. And it was to this man at this time that God gave this wonderful promise. Now notice, first of all, that this man was a disappointed man. Number one, he was disappointed in what he had seen with his people. Where is his leadership gone? He poured his life into this people. He delivered them from Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea. He said, God's going to provide our needs, and God had. He was the leader. God had given them the Ten Commandments, and they'd already broken number one and number two of the ten. He was disappointed. Not only was he disappointed in his people, he was disappointed that God was not going to be with him, but an angel would lead them the rest of the way. He was discouraged. He was discouraged because of what was taking place amongst the people. Not only disappointed in them, but discouraged as well. And thirdly, he was diffident, or he lacked confidence in himself. Lord, are you sure you chose the right person when you chose me? Didn't I tell you back at the burning bush that I couldn't do the job? But it was to this discouraged, to this disappointed, this diffident man that God came with this wonderful answer found in verse 14. And he said, All right, Moses, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give you rest. We've looked at the setting. Look with me quickly at the wording. First of all, God had said, I'll send an angel to lead you. Moses rebelled at that. He said, I'm not looking for an angel, I'm looking for God himself. So God said to him in this verse, my presence shall go with me. Or a better translation is, I myself will go with you, Moses. You've made your point. You've confessed the sin of the people. You've torn the golden calf down. You've burned it. You've crushed it. You've strawed it across the waters. So, Moses, I myself will go with you. Notice he didn't say, Moses, if you can whip these people into shape and in the next 60 days you can prove to me that they're not going to murmur and complain anymore, then and only then will I promise you my presence. He made a promise. He said, my presence shall go with me. Notice thirdly that he said in this wonderful promise, the wording of this wonderful promise, and I will give you rest. There are two kinds of rest mentioned in Scripture. There's that rest that comes after a very hard, difficult day of toil. Maybe you've had one of the worst jobs you've ever had in your life, and you struggled through that day. You haven't felt good all day long, but you struggled through the day, and then that hour comes when you've completed the task, and your employer says you can go home. And you go home and you fall into a deep 
rest, maybe your favorite easy chair, and you relax. Or in your dormitory, get back into the sack again and relax. But that isn't the kind of rest that is talked about here. Here God is referring to the kind of rest that comes in the midst of the difficult time, in the midst of examinations, in the midst of the worst job you've ever had to do. Because the children of Israel weren't to the promised land yet. But God is still saying to Moses, I'm going to give you rest as you make the rest of the journey. So the promise, the wording of the promise is very precious to me. My presence, I myself, will go with you. And even if it's difficult along the way, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. We've looked at the setting. We've looked at the wording. Let's look at the proving of that promise. Did that happen? Yes, as I mentioned to you earlier. Moses was not allowed to lead the children into the promised land. He was allowed to see it. But it was Joshua that had the privilege of taking the children of Israel into the promised land. And God kept his promise. Young people, as you go through your college experience, some of you are seniors, juniors, sophomores, and freshmen. As you go through your college experience, there are going to be times when things get very, very rough. But I'd like to leave this promise with you today where God says, My presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. But that all depends on your willingness to place your hands in the center of God's will and let Him work in you and through you to the praise of His glory. That's true of your administration. All of us enjoy very much what we're doing. All of us thank God for the privilege of being a part of the Master's College. All of us are thrilled as we hear your testimonies and we see God working in your lives. All of us recognize that a Christian higher education is very important for a world that needs trained young people to serve the Lord Jesus. And yet along the way, sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we're disappointed. Sometimes we even say, Lord, do you really need me? Do I really need all the heat that I'm going through? But to us... God says, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And I pass that same promise on to you today because in the midst of your college education, there are going to be ups and downs. There are going to be good days and bad days. There are going to be times when it would be very easy to throw in the towel and say, hey, I'm going back to that job where I made, more, where I made some money. And I'm going to give it up. The most important thing you can do is to be where God wants you to be. And in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the heat of the day, in the midst of the problems that come, recognize that we have a God who says, My presence shall go with thee and I will give you rest. Let me illustrate it one more time before we close. Uh, last, trying to think when it was in May, I went with John MacArthur back to the Moody Bible Institute for a pastor's conference. After the pastor's conference was over, John went 
his way, and I decided to go make some calls in Michigan, Indiana, and up into Canada. Well, I have a four-year-old grandson named BJ. He was born four days after we left for California, so it was quite a while before we saw him for the first time. He's the son of my oldest boy, Chip. And uh, he's now four years old, and I thought it would be a wonderful experience for Grandpa, or Poppy as he calls me, to take him on this trip with me. So I called my son and my daughter-in-law and said, could I take BJ with me on this trip? They live in Chicago, take him to Michigan and Indiana and over into Canada, and I'd be gone four days. And uh, they consented. Now, it's been a long time since I had a four-year-old for four days. My children are all grown up. The oldest one is 28. But it was a great experience for me to be with BJ, except one night we had a storm. And uh, I had him in one bed, and I was in another bed in a motel that we were in. And a storm came up, and the lightning was flashing, and the thunder was roaring, and all of a sudden I felt this little tight in my bed. And I said, what's the matter, BJ? He said, Poppy, I'm scared. I said, why? He said, there's a storm. Lightning might hit us. And he was in his own way telling me about his problem. I said, look, everything's okay. Poppy's in the next bed. And besides, when you have him with you, he's all over you. His feet, he changes positions all night long. But um, I took him back and put him in his bed, says, the Lord Jesus is with us. Brian, BJ, you know that. Don't worry about a thing. Only a few minutes later, the next clap of thunder and the flash of lightning, and I could hear him pop out of that bed and come across, jump into my bed. And I thought, why fight it? <laughs> so I left him in my bed the rest of the night. You know what happened? He did move around a little bit, but he was quiet. He didn't cry. He wasn't afraid of the lightning. He wasn't afraid of the thunder because he was in the presence of his poppy. Sometimes the lightning flash, sometimes the thunders of discouragement and disappointment and diffidency come upon us. We just have to recognize that we're in the presence of God. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, my presence will go with you. Hang in there. I'm right with you. That's the promise that God has given to us who are his children. It's a precious promise to me. It's hard to understand, I realize, when we think of other schools like this where perhaps somebody else is sharing the same kind of promise with the students there. Or all over the world today where God's people are being put upon and yet God says, my presence shall go with thee and I will give you rest in the midst of all the difficulties. Some of you know that we have another Misha Belus is here from Russia in our, on our campus. We have another Russian student who's at the seminary this year by the name of Sergei Rakuba. Sergei went home for Christmas. His wife and two children didn't go with him. They couldn't afford it. Sergei has not been allowed to leave the country. His wife and children are here. He's there. David Duell, one of our professors who has worked with international students here, is doing everything he can, but we don't know 
Last night, Misha said, we don't know if we can get him out. But in the midst of that difficulty, Sergei could look to the Lord and say, Lord, you promised your presence and your rest. I'm depending on you, either to get my family back to the Soviet Union or the Commonwealth now, or get me back to seminary where I can complete my education. In the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the tribulations, God's promise rings true. My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. That's been a great encouragement to my own life, and I trust it will be to yours as well. As we move on to another week of opportunity in the classroom, in our witnessing, in our service to Christ, in our employment, to know that we have a God who cares and who is with us, no matter what the circumstances may be. Let's trust him for it. Let's pray. Father, use this passage of Scripture in our hearts, as you did in Moses, to bring about that peace of God that passeth all understanding. May we be faithful to you because we recognize that you are always faithful to us. We love you. We commit ourselves to you and ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.